Have you ever been stuck troubleshooting an equipment issue in the field? If only you had more information to solve that problem. Now you do, thanks to Watermark. Watermark, a leading manufacturer's representative devoted to giving you concise and informative tips about how you can solve that equipment issue quickly and definitively. Go to eWatermark.net to view their library of troubleshooting videos. That's E as an excellence, Watermark.net. Hello, Scaling Up Nation. Trace Blackmore here, the host of Scaling Up, the podcast where we're scaling up on our knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. And folks, I know that, again, we are learning how to do things that we have done for years. We're learning the new normal of how we do things. And that is throwing a lot of us for a loop. And I just want to encourage everybody out there that just because things are different, it doesn't mean that we have to give up on some of the goals we have, on some of the things that we want to achieve. I think what it does mean is that we need to look at how we're measuring those things in this new normal in this different way that we're doing things and we're all learning how different it is almost each and every day, well, how do our goals align with what this new normal is, with how things are changing, with what we're being asked to do in the confines in which we're being asked to do it? And I want you to look at your goals and see if they're even possible within some of these parameters that we now have to deal with. I'm willing to bet that they are, but the issue that I find when I talk to many people that get frustrated with their goals is they haven't looked at the new mindset of this new normal, the different way to do things with their goals. So their goals were set back before anything happened. We even were talking about a pandemic. And now we're holding ourselves responsible for a pre-pandemic goal during a pandemic. So with all of that, I still think your goal is obtainable, but it might have to be measured a little bit differently. Maybe just a part of that goal is what we need to look at. And that part of that goal is ultimately going to allow us to accomplish that goal maybe next quarter, maybe the quarter after. I said on last week's show that we need to focus on the things that we can influence. And I brought up the seven habits of highly effective people the circle of influence, and circle of concern. Circle of concern deals with everything that concerns us, but doesn't really allow us to affect the outcome. The circle of influence are things that we can direct the outcome because we have influence over them. Now, in the seven habits of highly effective people, the reactive person will spend all of their time in the circle of concern, where the proactive person spends their time thinking, what can I do? Where can I put my energy where I can have an effect? So think about where you're putting your energy. Are you affecting 
the outcome of what you're trying to do? Are you simply just spinning your wheels and worrying about something that you have absolutely no control over? I think when you can shift your mindset and your actions to that circle of influence, it will allow you to do the things that you want to do, again, maybe not as quickly as we would have done them before a pandemic, but will allow you to do the things that you need to do and get things done so you can accomplish the goals that you want to get done. Well, I started out talking about the circle of influence and the circle of concern because our guest today is talking about sales. And I know during this time of how we're learning how to do things differently, we're wondering how do we keep our sales goals? How do we even perform sales during all this newness that's going on? And If you were sick, you would go to a doctor. So folks, if you have a sales issue and you need a coach, well, the guy I'm gonna have on, he's the guy you go to. He's a friend of mine, his name is Adam Shapiro. And that's what Adam does. Adam figures out what you're doing in your sales process. Uh, He looks at the entire process. He looks at your messaging. He looks at how you interact with each and every customer, how you follow up with things. And he diagnoses what the gaps are that you need to fill. Or maybe you're not even hitting the mark on a specific area. Well, he will help you hone in so the entire process is seamless. And here's the thing. I don't know if you've ever looked at it, but the sales department is probably the biggest department where people are doing everything differently. I can't think of another department in a company that's run like the sales department, but somebody might do something one way, somebody else might do it another. And as long as they're getting results, nobody really says anything. But the issue is, if you look at the entire staff in the employee department, not everybody is achieving their highest results. And it's because we have all these renegade approaches out there. What Adam does is he figures out what works from one person to another and then tries to condense that into a standard procedure. So now everybody can do that. And now we can track that. And we can see where people are struggling. And we can see where we need to help people. And we can train new people to be just as successful as the people that have been doing this plan for years. So during a pandemic, we might be thinking that this is not a time for sales. And Adam was gracious enough to come on the Scaling Up H2O webinar series that we did. And he talked about sales during a pandemic. If you have not seen that webinar, I would urge you to go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash webinar and scroll down to Adam's webinar. And he's going to give you all sorts of tips so you can figure out how you can be successful in these different times and how you can work in the circle of influence. Now, of course, I just mentioned The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and another one of the books that I think is just tremendous 
is a book by Gino Wickman called Traction. And in Traction, he talks about EOS, the Entrepreneur Operating System. And what that is, that is an operating system that we can run our companies on, that we can run our territories on. And when we now have a system that comes complete with tools that we can follow, it allows us to be so much more efficient and make our messaging, whether it's to other employees or to our customers, so much clearer. Our guest today, Adam Shapiro of Sales Reform School, he is an EOS speaker. And Adam's going to share with us some tips today about how we can align the sales department with what we've learned with the entrepreneurial operating system. So, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoy this interview with Adam Shapiro. My lab partner today is Adam Shapiro, president of the Sales Reform School. How are you, Adam? Well, I'm doing well, doing well. Happy to be here. Well, Adam, I want to welcome you on the Scaling Up H2O podcast. You are a sales expert, and I don't care who you are, everybody out there is involved in sales, and I know we're going to help a lot of people today with that. Fantastic. Thank you for the compliment. Absolutely. Well, Adam, uh, so the Scaling Up Nation can appreciate you as much as I appreciate you. Can you share a little bit about yourself? Sure. For the last 15 years or so, I've been helping uh, executives teams prepare and professionalize their sales teams and their sales efforts. Usually it's B2B sellers and sales teams. And what I usually do is I come in and I help a company draft or document their sales processes, draft and document the conversations and recapping and messaging tools they have within each step of that sales process. And then I help roll those out to customer-facing folks within a company that includes sales, marketing, delivery, anyone who interacts with customers so they know how it is a company goes after new and existing business or more business from an existing company. But doing that, like I said, I've been doing this for over 15, 15 years. And I've found that a lot of companies grow by hiring workers to do the work, hiring managers to manage the workers, having executives who work on strategy. And what they usually forget or miss out on or just don't have time to get to is documenting processes and messaging tools and what I would call a playbook or a lot of people call playbooks and then how to roll those out to make sure it sticks. Well, Adam, I'm curious because I know you have a law degree. How does someone go from getting a law degree to becoming a sales professional? Well, part of my, my company name, Sales Reform School, is part of that. There are those who refer to me as a reformed lawyer, and uh, I'll take that as a compliment in some cases. I graduated law school about in 1991 and started working for corporate legal departments and realized, you know, this wasn't my bag. Uh, I made my way into technology sales doing it with a, an organization that had a product that was a combination of America Online and LexisNexis, if you know what those, what those are providing tools for corporate legal departments and lawyers to get online and share information and help each other. And I realized, you know, I really love the technology. So I made my way into technology sales, made my way up the chain of command, so to speak, and realized in 2004, I can help a lot more people and have a lot more fun if I brought sales process training and workshops 
uh, to my network. And I've been doing that ever since and really enjoying myself. Do you ever regret not going into law? I think my mom regrets it more than others. Uh, <laughs> I want to correct you a moment there. I was in the law. I was a practicing lawyer for over three years. Uh, it also, I had a, I had a sales executive who worked w- on one of my teams once tell me that Shapiro, that darn law degree you can see around corners. So I don't regret my my law education ever, or even the practice of law that I that I had. But you know, I've had a I've had a great run of it, and I continue to have a great run of it, and it, it helps me every day. Adam, back in April, you helped us with our proactive webinar series, and we did a webinar that you were on talking about how we should look at sales during the corona pandemic. And I know a lot of people got a lot of information out of that presentation, and and I just want to personally thank you for doing that for the Scaling Up Nation. Well, it seems really strange to say that I enjoyed doing that webinar with you since it was something that was necessary. I wish it wasn't necessary, but like you said, I hope the message got out and people were thriving and are continuing to thrive because of it. Well, let's talk about EOS for a second. And I've mentioned the Entrepreneur Operating System numerous times on this show. It's something that I've been using for, I want to say about six years now. You are an EOS speaker. And I want to talk a little bit about that. First off, in your own words, if somebody's just tuning in today, they'd never heard about EOS, how would you describe EOS? And then what do you do as an EOS speaker? Well, there's a lot of metaphors that the EOS ecosystem, so to speak, use. Uh, obviously, one of them is traction from the book by Gino Wickman, where I'm sure you've seen this. You meet with an executive team or you're a part of an executive team. And off and on the last 15 years, I've been asked to be to sit in or be part of executive teams as well, where you get in the, um, the meeting with your colleagues and there's little agenda. There's little process for how to work through issues. When, we, when goals are discussed or objectives are, are discussed or even issues, there's no really process or way that we agree we should be speaking or talking about things. Other times you'll notice that companies start have adopted these ideas of having a company culture or uh, true values within a company, and they're words on a piece of paper or on a poster, but they aren't returned to, to where um, companies are living and breathing by those values, those core values, and those processes. I have found the EOS does a great job with that. Uh, extend the metaphor on traction. If you think of a car, it gives a roadmap also for how teams Executive teams and other teams within an organization should operate and can operate. And it takes the hard part out of how we solve problems or how we march forward uh, to reach goals. So, Adam, how did you become an EOS speaker? Well, like a lot of things, it came from a relationship of mine. I am a member of a trusted advisor group within Vistage, a CEO organization that's uh, nationwide. And one of my colleagues in that group is a, one of the top implementers of EOS worldwide, really, uh, around the country. He travels helping companies implement EOS. When he started learning more about how I implement process and messaging and disciplines within my customer base, he said, you know, there's a lot hand in glove between what you do and what I do with EOS. And I got that little dog look where you look up to the left and go, hmm, I wonder what that's all about. So I read the book, loved it. Um, His name is Tom Bauer, by the way. Tom also wrote a book called What the Heck is EOS? that helps to drive the EOS processes throughout an organization. So I read that too, and I realized, wow, 
how does sales interact with the EOS nomenclature, the EOS processes? What lessons can salespeople and sales executives uh, and managers uh, take from EOS and that to implement for themselves to be more successful? And that's where the idea went off in both mine and Tom's head that I should speak at the EOS conference, which I did in May. When I think of processes, and I'm a process person, I've done episodes on processes, I'm all about checklists, but I know most people out there are thinking processes is if you are building something and Sig Sigma and lean manufacturing and all that stuff, they all have processes with them. And if I think of every single department throughout a company, I would bet that the sales department is probably the least processed I don't know if that's a word, but they have the least amount of processes throughout. Everybody's doing something differently. Would you agree with that? Uh, I I think you're absolutely right that in uh, non-performing organizations or organizations that have not enjoyed sustainable growth, you'll find that one of the symptoms is that they do not have process within their sales organization. But I get it. I understand that salespeople are, are rather unique in the business world in that they feel that process within sales opportunities could feel like wearing a straitjacket. So if that's the case, think of it as a paradigm. Think of it as examples or, or even a treasure map to return to when things are going awry. Either way, if an organization is trying to figure out why sales are working or why they're not, and they can't figure out, well, how did we do it before, and then try to do that again, then they're failing at process. It's the same thing with other organ- or other parts of your organization, like you mentioned. Hey, we created this great product or offering. How did we do that? So we can do it again. It's the same thing with sales. Adam, you spoke at the EOS conference, and I believe your title was, What the Heck Should Sales Do with EOS? Did I get that right? Yeah, I'm, I'm playing off Tom Bauer's book, What the Heck is EOS? So I'm going to ask you, what the heck should sales do with EOS? As you know, Trace, one of the foundational elements from EOS is the vision traction organizer. There's some great nuggets there, not only for an organization to drive culture throughout their, or their own business, but also for salespeople and sales executives to pull out and be able to, to describe in their own sales opportunities. I'm going to mention three of them right now. Um, and by the way, there are other things within EOS that folks need to pay attention to in order to do sales well, to improve in sales. The first three I want to, I want to point out and uh, make sure I come back to them one at a time are on the vision traction organizer, what are your core values? Second, what's our marketing strategy? Meaning which potential customers are, you, are we targeting and with what message? And then third, if we can block together the one-year plan, the rocks and the issues, we can use that as a, as a template for how to have conversations with key players within our opportunities. You mentioned the Vision Traction Organizer, otherwise called the VTO. And you do a great job of explaining the VTO and then going directly into sales. Do you mind doing that a little bit for the Scaling Up Nation? Sure. If I'm hearing your question correctly, one of the main parts of that vision traction organizer, the VTO, is, is, hey, what's our marketing strategy? Really, And if you read the book Traction, you'll see that when they say, what is your marketing strategy? What they're really saying is, what is your market strategy? 
how do we attack the market? Within that marketing strategy are four items, the target market, the three uniques, the proven process, and the guarantee. Let's focus on two of those, really the middle two, the meat, if you will, the three uniques and the proven process. When I think of how sales should organize themselves when they are addressing the marketing strategy that the executive team has put together, how does a salesperson go out and have a conversation around the three uniques? How does a salesperson describe the proven process and why should they? Let's start with those three uniques. Those three uniques are your differentiators. Tracing your own company, you know why you are unique compared to your competitors, but your salespeople need to have a converse, be able to have conversations around those. Those conversations can be broken down into a, a several components, one of which is, hey, what stories can we tell that illustrate one of our three uniques? I'll give you an example. I was speaking with a gentleman who had a technology company that sits between large mega retailers and technology providers, really hardware providers that go into those uh, mega big box stores. And he said to me, Adam, one of our three uniques is that we're nimble. And I said, that's great. What a fantastic unique that is. I don't understand what it means, though. It sounds great. Can you give me an example? We were sitting at a coffee shop having coffee over this, and Trace, he took about 60 seconds looking around the room, thinking to himself before he could come up with an example of what I was talking about. Imagine being on a sales call and that happening to him. Wouldn't be too comfortable, would it? Absolutely not. I can't help but think the other side, you know, could it also be too scripted? Yes. So there are, I get this a lot. So people that sit in my workshops within a private company will say, don't script me. And I'm like, great. Let me give you an example of how to tell a 30 to 60 second success story or plausible emergency story around one of your three uniques. I'd like you to practice it the way we have written it together and then make it your own. And then let's, let's practice. Let's see how that goes. Invariably, when they do it themselves, they end up stumbling over themselves, but at least they start practicing so they're not winging it to where they, when they actually do talk to prospects and use those stories, they can make it their own. Other salespeople say, yeah, I'm really afraid just to do this without some sort of document in front of me that I can practice. For them, I say, sure, here's a script, make it your own, practice it, and go forth and conquer. Adam, for those people that are listening that have not gone through the EOS process and figured out what their vision is and so that we have a vision and focus day that we do uh, with EOS, how would you describe how to come up with your three uniques? Well, hopefully you have a marketing. Well, let's talk about several different types of companies. On the smaller end, the, the, when we say SMB, small and medium-sized business, the small business, we could sit down and think about, okay, why do people buy whatever it is you offer from you? Let's take the word unique out of it since that's a term, term of art for EOS and just tell me, give me your differentiators or let's figure out what it is about you or your organization that as a small business that people like. And then let's describe why. And then let's shove that into a story. Let's figure that out. As you get up the chain into medium to larger size businesses, you've got a marketing department. They've probably already thought of that, but you guys need to learn how to talk to each other. So let's bring marketing into the conversation and say, 
look, what gr- I see on your website, you saw some great differentiators or within EOS uniques. How can we boil down your white papers or your descriptions on your website into conversational tools that salespeople can go out and describe or discuss with their prospects and with their customers? And that's a process that we that we can do with medium size and even larger companies. I see too often where marketing's doing a great job on branding differentiators through uniques, but they're not taking those and boiling them down to conversations that salespeople can use. The next item that you mentioned earlier was proven process. What do we need to do with that? Well, with the proven process uh, section of the EOS books, the traction books, and within implementation, a company documents what their process is for delivering on their promises to their customers. Oftentimes, a prospect or a customer will say, well, gee, Trace, that sounds great. If we could actually achieve that, it would be fantastic. How do you do that? Boom, that's your cue to describe your proven process. Everyone in a company, I I would submit, should be able to go to a barbecue or a get-together cocktail party when someone says, so what does your company do or how do you do it? And be able to describe their proven process in less than a minute, minute and a half at most. That's how you guys deliver on your promise to the market. I find way too often salespeople who are maybe really good at asking questions telling stories, doing demonstrations if they're in technology companies, describing their products. So how do we do this? And they can't describe their company's proven process. And the prospects go, ooh, whoa, I'm not very confident now that they can deliver. The proven process description becomes is a great tool for a salesperson to show confidence in their ability to deliver on their promises. When you did the webinar for sales in a pandemic, you mentioned that then was the time more than ever to talk about your implementation story. Is that the same thing you're saying? Yes, the implementation story and the proven process are very similar. The big difference though, and one thing I wanna make sure everyone realizes, is the proven process within the VTO or within a company's implementation of EOS EOS, is a more generic um, market-driven tool. Here's how we go to market, here's how we deliver on our process. The implementation story within a particular opportunity is for that customer with that offering that you're offering them. In other words, what you're proposing, how you would implement. So there is a there's a distinction there that the implementation story within a sales process is more differentiated and more particular to an actual opportunity. The proven process within the vision traction organizer, the VTO, is about how a company goes to market and delivers. I'm trying to remember the exact question that one of the webinar participants asked, but I believe it was something around during April when nobody was seeing anybody, how do we sell or how do we prove we can still deliver what we need to during those pandemic times? Yes. How do we deliver it in times of selling virtually where you're either over the phone or over a video call? Have your stories at the ready. Be able to describe in 30 to 60 seconds how a similar prospect of yours to the person you're talking to, how you were able to help them get out of a problem and achieve a a distinct benefit to their business. One of the things that I really like about the entrepreneurial operating system is it ensures that you have specific goals, the top things that if you can work on, they're really going to move the needle for you and your company. And we have all these goals. We call those rocks when they last 90 days. 
And then in order to achieve those, we have all of these issues that we overcome. In the sales department, we have a whole bunch of issues. So what do we do in the sales department around these issues, these goals, these rocks? It's really interesting. As late as five years ago, a smart person in sales or a smart consultant could call up an executive and come at them with this claim. Hey, I'm smart. Tell me your problems. Tell me your goals. I can tell you my solutions. And people would listen. The, the world has changed even in the last five years, where if you don't come at an executive understanding their business and delivering an insight for them to show that you've been thinking about them beforehand, they're not going to give you the time of day. I teach what's called the Challenger Choreography, which comes from the Challenger Sale book, an excellent book that I recommend to all of your listeners. And within that, we can meld the goals, rocks, issues, ideas from EOS. EOS says, hey, within our company, within our team, let's figure out what our goals are, what our big rocks are, whether they're for the next 90 days, for the next year, or next five years. Let's figure out what our issues are that are keeping us from getting there. And let's figure out what solution we can provide to um, fix those issues and achieve our goals or objectives. When I saw that and read that within the EOS books, really, in the processes, I said, gee, that's exactly the same way a salesperson should be going after a, an opportunity. They should understand and warm up to their market, warm up to those key players they're talking to by saying, hey, I get you. You're trying to accomplish the following goals, big rocks, but you're having issues getting there such as, and be thoughtful in understanding that. Here's how we would help in that situation. So there you have taking lessons from the vision traction organizer, the goals, rocks, issues from EOS and saying, I can use that same discussion tool, that same template and apply it to my opportunities. That's where this come, comes in. Uh, salespeople should be doing that. They should be understanding what goals and rocks their prospects are faced with and are struggling with, and then seeing how they can adapt or correlate their capabilities from their own companies to helping, helping with those issues to help overcome those issues and then solve those big rocks, those big goals and objectives. Adam, what advice do you have to make sure you're getting to those issues with the customer? Well, there's, there's a few, few things that you can do. First of all, research, research, research. You have to, if you're about to call a key player at a target company within your ideal client profile, and you don't have an understanding or an assumption about what you expect to be their goals or big rocks, you haven't done your homework. If I were to call you, Trace, and say, hey, Trace, in your water treatments business, what are you guys trying to accomplish? You would hang up on me right away. You don't have time for that. But if I said to you, hey, Trace, when I study your business and your industry, it seems executives in your position are trying to accomplish the following. Am I right about that? At least I've done my homework. And you'll say one of two things. It's a binary question. Yes, that's exactly what we're trying to accomplish. How would you do that? How would you t help me with that? Or you'll say, no, that's not what we're trying to accomplish, but here is. And you would tell me then what that is. That's called warming up to your prospect. Do your research. Have some thought about it. Your marketing people, are, if you have them, are a great source for this because they have gone through the process of designing products and designing marketing to address your market to help them take care of big rocks and, and the issues that are keeping them from, from doing, doing so. So the first thing I would say is talk to marketing, do some research, 
And then the last thing I'll say is, how about some friendly fire? If your company already has customers and you want more customers like them, do a customer interview. Go to your customers and say, you know, we're so grateful that you're a customer of ours. We've been enjoying a great relationship. I just want to make sure I got something right. When you first decided to work with us, what were you trying to accomplish? And see what they say, and then see if that's something you can then draft for your next opportunity. Adam, earlier you mentioned core values. How do we make sure we're using our core values when we're in this sales mode? So core values are both internal looking and external looking or, or appropriate, if you will. Many companies will say, here's our core values, and let's make sure everything we do is following those core values. And if activities or things that go on within a company that are outside those core values should be marked and um, either discussed or eliminated. But it's another thing to be for a core value to be external. We see a lot of companies these days listing on their websites for all to see what their core values are. We see it come out in advertising and marketing. Well, how do salespeople take those core values and um, describe them within their sales opportunities within in their pipeline? Really, the question becomes from a prospect's perspective, why should I care? Why should I care about your core values? Well, it all returns back to the definition of trust. And I think it was uh, Covey Jr., Stephen Covey Jr., who defined trust as sincerity plus competence. If you think of the trust that you are trying to build within your sales opportunities, it's really about showing them that you're sincerely trying to help them solve problems and reach goals and objectives, those big rocks. But it's also about you showing your competence that you're the person who can help them do that. How do we show our competence? We can't just tell them because we know that a lot of salespeople before us have destroyed trust by bragging and puffing and doing things in sales cycles that are unnatural towards building trust. It's really about the stories. So I mentioned earlier about the three uniques. Let's also talk about those core values. If you have a core value of helping your customers no matter what solve problems, well, give me a story about that. If you have a, a core value of integrity, well, what does that mean to a prospect? When is, give me, can you give me an example of where that comes through? Once a company takes their core values and looks externally, to where they've drafted 30 to 60 second stories that describe a, a horrible situation that a prospect was in or a customer was in and how a, 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 adapting a core value to that situation led to a great result. Now you're going to start building trust within your sales opportunities and we can do that together. It's funny though, Trace, is oftentimes people will take their core values and describe them as capabilities without describing what I call act one of the story. Part of my French, but it's true. It's usually what is the quote crappy situation that a prospect or a customer may find themselves in that would lead to them needing me to have that core value. Adam, I'm so glad you mentioned that. When we started EOS several years ago, the team came up with our core values, but the team truly didn't understand the core values when we simply just defined them. When we had a story and then a situation, that's when everybody started getting it. Yeah, Trace. And that situational story, that emergency situation where relying on your core value won the day for you and your customer, those are the stories people want to hear. And it really means that you've driven that core value not only internally through your organization, but made sure they're expressed 
to your customers every day. I have one client who a core value of theirs was we've, we have operating procedures, we follow them. So how did that come out in their sales processes? Well, their, pros, their customers would say to them, gee, if you guys implement what you have to offer the way you sell to us, meaning following a process, documenting procedures, keeping up and keeping up with each other, planning, a lot of planning and project managing throughout the sales process, then we're going to be great. And that's why they would sell. They would win opportunities solely because of the way they sold rather than what they sold. Adam, it seems to me like we've come full circle back to the proven process. And I know that is where you excel working with clients. Do you mind sharing how you do that and, and what you do when you work with clients to help them develop that proven process? Sure. So on this podcast, I've described taking that EOS and pulling things out and helping document things for salespeople and putting down processes and things like that. And what would happen is someone would call me and say, hey, I heard your podcast. How do you do that? Just as we described earlier on this on this podcast. So here it goes. So I would say, well, for me, I use a, a process that has three phases. In that first phase, I need to have the smart people in your company in a room sales, marketing, and delivery who understand your brands and say, okay, what sales process do we need to clone over and over again? Who are our ideal client profile and who are the key players within that? I'll then document that first sales process or massage the sales processes that you've used and layer in now messaging. What are the conversations salespeople should have and what are examples and templates of conversations that salespeople should have within that process? So we're creating your first playbook, playbook 1.0. So in this first phase, I've created that playbook 1.0, and I've also poured it now into a two-day workshop. So now we move into phase two, that onboarding workshop. We've created in phase one, we're onboarding in phase two. All customer-facing personnel, sales, marketing, delivery, now sit through a two-day workshop, and I shouldn't say sit through, but are engaged in a workshop that follows a cadence of me talking for 10 or 15 minutes in a facilitative way, doing some lab work, and then practicing what we've done to where they're practicing and working with the same playbook we created in phase one to then make sure it sticks. Once we've had that workshop and onboarded or inboarded uh, your customer-facing folks, we then move into phase three, the final phase, which I call mastery, where I'm doing office hour webinars and I'm also coaching uh, both the coaches and the individuals on how to use what we learned in phase two and documented in phase one to then have true behavior change. What are the disciplines? How do we uh, ex execute the um, process steps? And how do we use the messaging tools we've created? So that now we have everyone rowing, if you will, in the same way, mastering your sales culture and your sales playbook. That's my proven process. I still can't help but thinking there's so many salespeople out there, especially sales managers, thinking everybody is doing things differently. They know it can be more efficient but they don't know how to take that first step. What advice would you have for them? So I often, see that, that in my mind, that goes to a blog post I wrote some, some years ago called um, Mommy or Daddy Voice, where a salesperson says, here's how I did this, and it didn't work. Sales manager says, well, you should have done it like this. This is how I do it. And now it becomes a rock fight between, I can't be you. I want to do it my way. No, do it my way. Instead, what I look for is a facilitative process where Sales rep and sales manager can agree on what is a best practices, objective way of going after business. Once they agree to that, 
Then the onboarding and the mastery is all about returning to that objective third-party process and messaging tools that we agreed is the way to move forward. It's not a, well, I can't be like you, well, you should do it this way conversation. It's okay, where are you in the process that we've agreed is the way we should go after sales? Now, for those sales individuals out there that need to now go to their sales managers and present this idea to them, what would you tell them? So there, there's usually a list of complaints. You know, salespeople are, are famous for being the ones who, who abide by the squeaky wheel gets the grease ma- mantra on how to get things done. What they should be doing is saying, look, I see all this great stuff that marketing's putting out there, but I'm having to put that in my own words. And I'm worried I'm not doing it the way others on the team or you would do it. Why don't we sit down and put together our playbook for how we have conversations around these marketing pieces? That's one. Second, I keep doing things my way because you tell me to go out and do, go get sales. So I have my, I guess, processes on how I would do it, but it doesn't seem to gel with how you think I should do sales. Why don't we come together or find someone that can help us put together our process that then we can manage to and work through? things like that. That's just two examples. Well, oftentimes I will use this podcast to just get out things that I don't like seeing that people do. So I'm going to give you that opportunity. What do salespeople do that you just want them to stop doing? So there's a, there's a famous sales movie, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, that a lot of people love. And it's one of my favorites. A lot of people have watched it and enjoyed it. I don't believe in the ABC of selling, always be closing. No. Nowadays, if you rush someone in this, into a sale, that you're gonna, you are gonna regret it, and they are gonna regret it, and you will not have happy customers that you can turn into success stories. I would prefer that if your sales cycle is any any sort of complex sales cycle, and I define a complex sales cycle as multiple decision makers, multiple steps in a process, multiple being more than one or more than two, then let's slow it down, and the right time to close is when the evaluation process is complete. If you have no idea what I'm talking about when I say the evaluation process is complete, it means you're not being thoughtful in the sequence of events that a buyer should go through to decide to buy from you, and you're not presenting that as a process that they can go through to work together to project manage their evaluation. Throwing a lot at you here, but this is something I see a lot. People are like, well, when can I close? And they, haven't, and they don't ask for the business because they don't know when the evaluation process is over. Or they try to close too early and they piss off their, their prospects because the prospect wasn't even ready. The second thing I would point to is a basic sales discipline of active listening. I'm finding too many salespeople have no clue how to just be quiet and listen to their prospects, listen to what's going on in their particular businesses, and then adapt their capabilities to those needs or what those those issues or challenges are that their prospects are giving. Too often, sales is an alpha dog business where you tell me you have a problem or an objective, I've got a solution for you, and there's no middle, middle step of acknowledging the situation and treating the buyer as unique. So I'd say those are two things, not mapping out the evaluation process and not listening well enough to treat your prospect as unique. What is the one underlying message that you want to make absolutely clear to the Scaling Up Nation today? You should not be treating your salespeople or your sales teams as practicers of the black arts. It is not something that you should just let off to the side and hope that they succeed. We can 
help them by creating sales processes, sales messaging tools, and then putting together a group of disciplines that they should follow to succeed. Well, Adam, I appreciate all the information that you have shared with me, that you have shared with the Scaling Up Nation today, but I do have a few more lightning round questions for you if you're ready for those. Let's do it. All right. So if you could go back to your very first day when you were a sales professional, what advice would you give yourself? I would tell myself, Adam, you are by far not the smartest person in the room, so you better prepare more for these conversations. What are the last few books that you've read? The last three books I've read were Factfulness by Hans Rosling, Combo Prospecting by Tony Hughes, and Alexander Hamilton by Ron Chernow. Did you see the musical? I have. It's one of my favorites. By the way, during our we'll call it quarantine or staying at home time. We ro- rotate through a few musicals that were that are some of our family favorites, and that's one of them. We we do some work with our church, and and I had a middle school group, so I I sang the King George part for my middle school boys. I don't know if they were impressed or not. Fantastic! I might have to uh, make you do that one. Please for us. don't. Please don't. <laughs> All right. So when Hollywood hears about Adam Shapiro, who plays you in the movie? <laughs> well, understanding that that sometimes your biggest fan is your mother. I once overheard my mother talking to my grandmother, who's no longer with us, and described me as George Clooney. I blushed and laughed out loud <laughs> to where she noticed. But let's let, let's go for George. I like it. He and I share the same birthday. <laughs> All right. My final question: If you could talk with anybody throughout history, who would it be with, and why? Well. Alexander Hamilton is still top of mind because, I mean, that book is amazing. And of course, I love the show so much. So I'm going to stick with with Hamilton. I'm also, because of my my father grew up in, and I was born in Brooklyn, New York, and his favorite baseball player was Jackie Robinson. So that's a close one to their one and one A, is uh, what Jackie Robinson went through to, and had such an incredible impact and career. Uh, I would love to talk to him as well. Well, I appreciate you talking with us today. I know I learned a lot. The nation learned a lot. So thank you so much for coming on Scaling Up H2O. Oh, my pleasure, Trace. Adam, thanks again for coming on Scaling Up H2O. A lot of times we don't look at how we can integrate departments uh, into the EOS system. We look at the company as a whole. And I love how you take the approach on tools that we are learning about with EOS, tools that we're already using, and using those mindsets that EOS has us get into to affect the sales department in a positive way. I know I learned a lot from talking to you and asking you all these questions, and I'm pretty sure the Scaling Up Nation learned a lot as well. Again, Adam did a great webinar for us. If you want to hear more of Adam Shapiro, you can go to our resources page on uh, Scaling Up H2O, and it's the proactive webinar series. If you just want to type directly into your browser, it's scalinguph2o.com forward slash webinar. And I believe there's 15 webinars up there. And if you scroll through, you can see Adam talking about how to handle sales during a pandemic. 
Folks, if there's one thing you can get out of this episode, it's thinking about how the sales department is structured. And again, the sales department is one of those things where everybody does it a little bit different. And being a former sales manager, that is almost impossible to coach people, to get people uh, to a higher level, uh, to a higher job satisfaction, making them just overall more successful when you don't have a same way of doing sales. Now, I'm not saying you're creating a bunch of robots but there definitely needs to be a procedure on what makes how you do things the way that people are going to do things. Now, if we were manufacturing something, nobody would even question that we needed a procedure to make sure we got the right widget out the door. Well, aren't we doing the same thing with the sales department? And Nation, if you remember on episode 39, I interviewed Justin Roth Marsh on the sales department, and that was entitled The One That Will Change Your Sales Department. Justin wrote a book called The Machine, and it's a really neat book. In the beginning of the book, he talks about how we have done sales the exact same way since the Industrial Revolution. And since the Industrial Revolution, how manufacturing of goods has changed tremendously. And it's got a lot safer. It's got a lot more efficient. Well, he says, why not change the sales department into something that's more efficient, into something that's more repeatable? And I think that's exactly what Adam is talking about here today. And if you can just think, what are the things that make me successful in sales? What are the things that make my department successful in sales? And how do we create a format where everybody is starting off at their highest potential using proven tactics that are going to allow them to be as efficient as they possibly can? I think that is worth every bit of time that you would spend rewriting those procedures or maybe just writing those procedures for the first time. Nation, as you know, one of my goals is to bring material to you that is useful, that you are asking for. So I'm going to ask for that again. If there is a topic you want me to cover, if there is a guest that you want me to reach out to, please go to scalinguph2o.com, go to our show ideas section, and let me know what that is. In fact, if you have a question that you want me to answer on Scaling Up H2O, you can record your own voice by going to scalinguph2o.com. A voicemail button will pop up and you can record your own voice and I might just put that on the air and answer your question. Something else people always ask, what do I need help with? I need help getting the message out about scaling up H2O. So if you know somebody that you think can benefit from listening to this podcast, please let them know about it. But don't assume that they know how to get on a podcast. You might have to do a little bit more work. So uh, advise them on how to use a podcast service and then get them to subscribe to Scaling Up H2O. 
Another thing that you can do that would be oh so helpful for myself and my team, if you can leave a comment about this show. That helps iTunes boost us up on where they show us, and it allows us to be a little bit more visible. Folks, I appreciate all you do for me and helping me create this show. And I have to tell you, it's one of my favorite things that I enjoy doing. So thanks for helping me out with that. I hope everybody has a great week. I hope everybody stays safe out there. And I will come at you next week with another brand new episode. Scaling Up Nation, on episode 136, you heard from four members of the Rising Tide Mastermind. One of those members was Eric Russo. And Eric is an extremely busy individual. And I asked him the question, how he found the time and why he decided to join the Rising Tide Mastermind. Here's what he said. Like most people in the water treatment industry, there's always a struggle with work and life and I had a daughter on the way and I was probably a little more mindful of how much I was working and how I can adjust my schedule or or make it in such a way that was sustainable for my family and this conversation is a little more difficult when you don't have people in the water treatment industry because they don't understand the travel aspect the service aspect the technical uh, knowledge need to be successful it's a little more difficult to to balance that. So to have a group of like-minded individuals to work through with the goal of self-development, it's really helpful to kind of hash through those problems for me. Have you ever noticed that if you want something done, you give it to a busy person? Why is that? Why do busy people always seem to get something done? And we always wonder why, but there's a secret to that. Most busy people, If they're busy on the right things, it means that they are successful and they've learned to say yes to the things that help with their success, however they define success. Think about that. When was the last time you thought to yourself, how do I define success? Well, those are some of the questions that we ask in the Rising Tide Mastermind. And Eric asked himself, if I join the Rising Tide Mastermind, Will this make me a better husband? Will this make me a better father? Will this make me a better water treater? And Eric has told me that it has done all of those things and he is sure glad that he decided to join. Folks, I cannot say enough good things about being involved in a mastermind group. I ask that you go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind to see if being a member of the Rising Tide Mastermind is right for you. And if you decide that it is not, please find a group that is right for you. When we get together with other people that are concerned about everyone's success, everyone gets better and the tide rises all boats.